0: All right. We are in the book of Daniel. We've come to chapter three. Last week, as we were in chapter two, we saw Daniel's recording of the first vision that that was uh, that God used Daniel to uh, interpret with King Nebuchadnezzar, and we saw a uh, multi-faceted uh, statue that he dreamt of and. At the end of, uh, end of that, two things happen. One is Daniel is elevated. And two, Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the God of heaven, as Daniel calls him. He acknowledges Yahweh. But he doesn't accept Yahweh. He acknowledges him. He's not saying, oh yeah, I'm going to follow him. Because the Babylonians were a polytheistic. In other words, they had many gods. They had seven major gods, but archaeologists have dug up the names of at least 3,000 gods that they worshipped. So Yahweh was just one more to add to the pile. Well, between chapters 2 and 3, we have about 10 to 15 years. Daniel has gone on and he has become uh, one of the the top men and he is an emissary for, uh, for Nebuchadnezzar. He travels all over the known world doing his bidding. The three Hebrew children, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they remain as they are given positions right there in Babylonia. Right there at the, at the capital. And their, their abilities, as uh, it says in chapter 1, that they had ten times the knowledge and intelligence of all the other wise men. So they've become known. And they've also become known as men that follow Yahweh. And so we come to chapter 3. And the question we're going to ask today is how firm is your faith? And uh, this is probably one of those stories that if you went to Sunday school, you heard two stories out of the book of Daniel. One was they called them the three Hebrew children. Most of the time they're called by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We hear that in the about the fiery first, the other is about Daniel in the lions. lion's den right both both are are looking at how firm is your faith because a lot of people say they have faith, but when the when it comes down to the nitty gritty, when it comes down to to facing trials, when it comes down to facing opposition, they're like going, well, I don't, you know, my, I, I have faith, but but I don't want to get too excited because it may cost me. It may cost me a job. It may cost me the, the, a friendship. It may cost me financially. But if you have faith You have to make sure it's in the right place. Not faith in what you believe, but faith in who he is. Now, in this chapter, as we read through, we're going to come to a couple places where uh, it's pretty repetitive. And uh, so, as we read through it this morning, when I come to the list of the titles, uh, after I read it the first time, after that I'm going to use... I'll just call them the big shots. And the other is a list of the instruments that are going to be played. And we're going to call them the orchestra. So just to save a little time, because I know you're all waiting for the potluck, right? So let's turn to Daniel chapter 3. And we'll read the first seven verses. Daniel 3, 1 to 7. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold and the height was 90 feet tall and the width was 9 feet wide. And he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. And then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble symbol. The satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces, also known as big shots, to come to the dedication of the image of Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. And then the big shots were all assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up, and then a herald proudly, loudly proclaimed, to you the command is given, O people, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment that you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the lyre, the trigon, the psaltery, the bagpipe, and all kinds of music, also known as the orchestra, You will fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of a blazing fire. Therefore, when all the people heard the orchestra, all the people's nations and men of every language fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Now, as we we look at this as what's happening, uh, we really, it doesn't say who this image of. Some people think that, well, maybe it was an image similar to what we read last week. We don't know. Some people think it was an image of Nebuchadnezzar himself. And others think maybe it's an image of Bel, which was their. Number one God, Marduk, was his other name. And uh, uh, there's a statue of him that they have found that this is what he looks like. That's their, their number one God, Bel. So whatever it was, Nebuchadnezzar built, and, and this is an interesting, uh, did you catch the dimensions? 90 feet tall, And nine feet wide. Kind of like a totem pole. Right? It's a lot taller than you would think its base. You know, would be able to handle. But he makes this image. Whatever it is, whether it's an image of him. Or whether it's an image of Marduk. Or or an image from his dream. He has created this to worship. And uh, he tells everybody, worship or worship. Else, right? Well, forced worship is not true worship. You see, you can tell people you need to you need to fall down and worship this idol, but that doesn't mean anything if it's forced. A, b- a matter of fact, when we when we see this going on, um, it kind of reminds us uh, of something later, but. He says, what? If you don't worship, what's going to happen to you? You're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. Now, when you first read this, you got to, what in the world is there a fire, why is there a fiery furnace built out here? It's obviously not, probably not to keep people warm. It's an outdoor setting and there's there's probably thousands of people if not more than that, out on this plain of Dura, which is a is most scholars believe it's an area just outside of Babylon. Uh, they've, they've actually resurrected uh, some of the remains of a, of a platform that this would have been on. But when they would have built this, now it probably was not solid gold. Just because of the weight of solid gold, 90 feet wide and 9 feet or nine feet wide and ninety feet tall. Most likely they had carved it out of wood, and then they would take molten gold and they would pour it over the over the statue to create this idol to worship. So they would have built a, a kiln and they this is a, a replica or a a drawing of of a kiln That they have or that they have the archaeologists have uncovered in um, in Babylonia, and this kiln would have been used to heat the gold. Now, anybody know how hot you got to get gold before anybody knows the melting point? About nineteen hundred degrees. That's hot. And so this kiln, and they had, to, they had to do enough gold. Remember, that's a pretty big statue. So this is, a, this is big. We know it's big enough for four men to walk around in. And so this kiln would have been somewhere nearby, this huge oven, somewhere nearby to where this statue is standing. And, of course, Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, we saw last week, he said what? He wants all of the uh, the wise men to be what? Cut up in little bitty pieces in your house made into a, a refuge. He's not a nice guy. And he comes up with these creative ways to kill people. Hey, let's just throw you in the lion's den. And so here he says, we're going to burn you up. We're going to incinerate you if you don't worship. Well, the reason I spent some time on this is because there's an interesting passage in Revelation chapter 13. In Revelation chapter 13, you can turn there if you want, or I'm going to read it to you. It is during the tribulation, the Antichrist and the false prophet are going to set up an idol. And I want you to listen to what it says. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which he has given him to perform in the presence of the beast. We're talking about the false prophet here. Telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it is given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves, to be given the mark on on their right hand or on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy and sell except for the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. And here is wisdom. Let him who is understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number of it is man and the number is 666. Well, isn't it interesting that the Antichrist will create an image of himself and what does he say you worship or you die or or you actually if you worship you're going to have to take the mark and if you don't take the mark you're going to die so as we look at the these these parallel passages it's, it's amazing to me how for all of these years People think they can force worship. And you can't. Because worship comes from where? The heart. True worship comes from the heart. Well, as he has caused these men uh, to make a choice, these three Hebrew children, and we're going to see that in, in verses Daniel chapter 3, 18 to 8, or 8 to 18. So let's turn back to Daniel and let's see what, what this choice is that these men make. Now remember, we're not going to see Daniel in this picture. Daniel most likely is not in the capital, he's someplace else doing the king's business. And so he doesn't appear in this. They don't have their leader to lean on. Up until this time, Daniel has been the one who stepped forward first. Now these three men have to stand on their own two feet and make a declaration. So verse 8, For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. Now, I want you to underline that, if you underline in your Bible, because we're going to come back to that. And they responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree, and every man who hears the sound of the horn, the orchestra, thank you, uh, whoever does not fall down and worship uh, shall be cast into the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. And there were certain Jews who you have appointed over the administrating of the providence of Babylon, namely Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, have disregarded you. They did not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. then Nebuchadnezzar in a rage and anger gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and then these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar responded and said to them, is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready at the moment you hear the sound of the orchestra to fall down and worship the image that I have made very well. But if you do not worship, you will immediately be cast in the midst of the furnace of blazing fire. What God is there that can deliver you out of his hand? And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O oh, Nebuchadnezzar, We do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, our God we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But even if he does not let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. As we look at this, the first thing I want you to see is who the accusers are. The accusers are the Chaldeans. Now, we learned last week, who are the Chaldeans? They're the demonic astrologers they're the ones who look in the look in the stars and say oh this is what the stars mean and they're they're driven by by the demonic they're the ones who come and make the charge now who are the accused notice twice it says the jews now that's important because it, it, it designates who they worship. If they were talking about their nationality, they would have said, "The Hebrews. They came from Abraham. They came from up north. They were Hebrews. That's their nationality. Or they might have called them Israelites, but what did they call him? The Jews. Because they knew what they stood for. They knew who they believed in. Now I want you to catch the scene here. Everybody's supposed to be doing what? Bowing down. Worshipping the idol. What are these guys doing? They're looking. They're looking to see what Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are going to do. And apparently they're the only three out of everybody. And this is a huge crowd. You know, and I know you guys do this. You know, you ever, you you know, the pastor says, all right. Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're going to have an invitation and and people are like, got one eye cocked over. Who's going to raise their hand, right? But these guys were watching Based on what? Based on what they believed. Because, you see, they knew what they believed. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were not men that that pussyfooted around their religion. They knew who their God was. And they accused them. And their accusation was twofold. They do not serve your gods. And they do not worship the golden image. Now, where did they get that from? Wouldn't it, wouldn't it have been safer for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to go just to say, you know what, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna bow down, but we're we we do not mean it. You ever you ever met anybody that that does that? Well, I don't really, I don't really believe in what, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go along with it. That would have been the easy thing to do. But there's a little passage back in the book of Exodus that we call the Ten Commandments, right? And in the Ten Commandments it tells us what? You shall not make for yourself an idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or earth beneath or the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, I'm a jealous God visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children, on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. They had a choice to make. God had given them a command. Remember, they grew up under the tutelage of Josiah, the righteous king who found the Torah in the temple. And made sure everybody knew it. And they knew it. And they said, We can't do this. We cannot worship this idol. And so they didn't make any bones about it. They stood tall. They didn't care if people saw them. They didn't try to pretend to worship, they stood tall. And when they were confronted, when they're brought up, I mean, you know, it's not a good thing. I can remember getting called to the principal's office, especially junior high. Junior high was not a good time for me. Mr. Shearer, Mr. Shearer was about five foot nothing. And he had a hack hack board that was about that long. And I remember one time I got called into the principal's office for something, and I, 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 I was wrong. I did it. And uh, he gave me a couple whacks, and I had, had kind of heard that it was coming. And so I I'd, I'd went to the locker room and put my gym shorts underneath my blue jeans. And so he, he whacked me a couple times, and I smirked. Yeah. The wrath of the king. Oh, I remember. He said, "You think that's funny?" I mean, he loaded up. I mean, he he like and I, and I, Yeah, I didn't start laughing after that when I was choking back. I was not going to cry. But but you know, the wrath of the king. And I want you to understand their response. The first response that they gave, our God is able. Amen. Our God is able. Now, we kind of have this habit of, uh, there's a lot of preachers today that preach about the, the name it and claim it, right? We can go to God and say, God, this is what I want you to do and you've got to do it. Mm-mm. God doesn't say it. He says, I'll do my will. You get in line with my will and I'll do it. But you got to be in line with my will. And these guys says, I know that my God is able to deliver me from the fiery furnace. He is what? Able. Sometimes we need to pray more like that. God, I know that you are able to do this. Not you have to, you're able. The second thing that they say is our God will deliver us out of your hand. Isn't that interesting? You know what they're saying? You can do whatever you want, but my soul is secure in my Savior. My soul is secure in my God. You throw me in that fiery furnace and my body burns up. Guess where I am? I'm, in the, I'm with my Savior in heaven. See, so you, you may do something to this body, but that's not what it's all about because I have a Savior who loves me and he's promised me eternity. You see, they're saying, yes, my God is able to deliver us out of that. Now, he could have delivered in a lot of ways. Have you ever thought about that? Man, he could have come along and just brought a big old storm, knocked that 90-foot thing over, sent a, sent a torrential downpour to, to put out the fire of the furnace. God could have delivered in many different ways, but he didn't. And the last thing that they say is, oops, what, oh, how'd we get there? John is with us today. All right, help me out, guys. They're, they'll get it back up here. Even if, even if faith, do you have even if faith? Even if he doesn't deliver us, we will not worship your idol. That even if faith is important. Because that's where we live. You see, we can ask God for all kinds of things, and and there are times when God does it. You know, I was sharing at Mike's funeral. The family had called me on the Thursday before he died, because uh, John was refused, or John, because uh, Mike was refusing dialysis. He said, "I just want to go home." And uh, so they called me, asked me, "Would you come talk with Mike?" So I went up to the ICU, and, and Mike and I sat there, and, and I said, "You know, Mike, sometimes we kind of limit God as to the kinds of miracles. He said, "But but pastor, I asked God to start my kidneys back up and he hasn't. So I just want to go home." I said, "Mike, sometimes God gives you a miracle based on what is available to you through medical science. So maybe God wants you maybe God has something else for you to do down the line." And he wants to give you the miracle of dialysis to to get those kidneys going again. And so so Mike agreed to do that. And I I told him, I said, Mike, you know, if God's ready for you to go, he'll take you, whether they do dialysis or not. So Mike had the dialysis, and and the next day he said, thank you, thank you, Pastor. I feel so much better. Things are going so... But what what we didn't know is the story of JT JT was the young man that Mike had an opportunity to witness to in the ICU and and less than a week later God says, "You know what, Mike? It's time." He called, Mike called me the night before he died. He said, Pastor, I just wanted to give you kind of an update. I want because I know you pray for me, I, want, I know you want to pray specifically. I've had this fluid build up and they, they don't know what to do with it. My cardiologist was in to talk to me today, but it's going to be all right. It's going to be all right because I'm a winner either way, even if faith. Even if I don't make it through this, even if I don't make it out of the ICU, I'm going to heaven. Amen. The even if faith, and that's the kind of faith that these men had. And as we, as we see what happens to them, it, you know, the, the king says, All right. I'm going, to give you, I, I, I'm going to give you another chance, but you don't even want that. So I want you to come. We're going to skip a few few verses. We're going to come to uh, verse 23. They, they tie these guys up. And it says that they took even the, the mightiest soldiers took, went to throw them in the fire. And the fire was so hot that it killed the people that took them up to throw them in. Imagine that. So hot that even the guys that got close to the fire were killed. But what happened with these three guys who had even if faith? And I don't think they went kicking and screaming. No, no. I think they said, we're either home or or we're going to get a sauna. One of the two. Verse 23. Oh, I forgot to hit the clicker. Verse 23 to 27. But these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell into the midst of the blazing fire, still tied up. And then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded. And he stood up in haste. And he said to the high officials, Was it not three men we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like the sons of the gods. And then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of the blazing fire. And he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God. Come here. And then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And the big shots and the king's high officials gathered around and saw in regards to these men that the fire had no effect on the bodies of these men, nor were their hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had any of the smell of fire even come upon them. Wow, what a miracle. What a miracle. There even if faith brought them out, Didn't save them from the fire. But it saved them through the fire. Did you get that? God did not keep them from the fire. He kept them through the fire. That's important, folks. It doesn't matter what you're going through. What trial you're going through. God may not keep you from that. You know, he let the apostles go into the stormy sea so that Peter would have the faith to step out of the boat in the midst of the storm and walk to him. Even though he took his eyes off of Jesus and started to sink, God reached down and grabbed his hand and they walked back to the boat in the middle of the storm. And then God calmed the sea. Most of us, we would like to walk on the water, but we want to walk on the water when it's nice and smooth. God says the only time you're going to walk on the water is in the midst of the storm. You see, we can go through trials, and and we need to understand that God sometimes, God will. There are times when he he will keep you from the fire keep you from the storm but more likely he's going to keep you through the fire David had that similar experience didn't he when he penned Psalms 23 yea though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death I will fear no evil why because thou art with me. You see, Jesus was present with them in the fire. He was, and this was one of those that everybody got to see. The king looked in, Nebuchadnezzar looks in, and he says, wow, there's four men walking around. How is this? And the fourth man is like the son of the gods. Jesus came down into the midst of that fire and he says don't worry guys I got you now for for you barbecue guys out there most of you know what happens if you forget to uh, if you turn the gas on too high before you hit the striker right you're going to lose some eyebrows not a hair of their head was singed not a smell of their smoke was on their garments they walked out of that fire fully intact you see that's the way god works he he provides us the perfect miracle isaiah 26 says this the steadfast mind will keep in perfect peace because he trusts in you trust the lord forever for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Who was there trust in? It was good, Even if. Faith. All right. I'm ready. I'll go through the storm. Well, I want you to look at the aftermath. Verses 28 through 30. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed Be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him violating the king's command and yielded up their body so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And here's the, our gentle king Nebuchadnezzar. Shall be torn limb from limb. And their house is reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. And then the king caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Three guys. Out of all of the big shots, all of those that were standing in that on that 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 platform or or the field where this was, three guys stood up and said, we're not going to worship. Because our God told us not to. Because of that, their faith influenced the entire world. Did you notice what the king did there? He sent out a decree to any people, nation, or tongue. You don't badmouth the God of heaven, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And if you do, you're going to pay for it. Their influence, their faith literally influenced the world. Now, I don't think they had in their mind when they stood that day that they would influence the world. I think in their mind, they stood there and said, we will not worship because God told us not to. We have an even if faith. We we know that if God, the God we have is a God that is able. And he, He will deliver us, maybe not the way we want. I tell people all the time, you know, they'll ask for a miracle of healing. And I tell people, the greatest miracle of healing you'll ever have is that moment when you step from this body into heaven because you're perfectly healed. You know, sometimes we want to, oh, I want the miraculous healing. And that's great. You know, if we have that and we're able to take that and use that as a testimony of Jesus Christ, that this is what God does, that's awesome. Sometimes God just heals us through the power of medicine. But there are other times when God says, you know what? It's time. Enoch walked with God and he was not. God says, you know what, Enoch? You're you're such a good guy that I'm going to shorten your life and I'm going to bring you straight to heaven. That's an awesome thing, that miracle that God did for Enoch. They did not know that they would influence the world, but their faith. Have you ever wondered what you would do? Do you have the even if faith? And if you have an even if faith, God may use you to influence the world. Well, wait a second, not me. They didn't expect it. God may put you in a situation one day where He says, You're either going to, I want you to stand for me. And if you do, God's going to say, I'm going to let the world know. And you can change the world by having an even if faith. Well, amen. We're going to come now to our communion time. And as we do, you know, we all struggle. We all struggle. You know, Jesus struggled. That's what the Garden of Gethsemane was all about. Jesus, in his humanness, what did he pray? My Father, if it's your your will, take this cup from me. But not... My will, but thine be done. Jesus struggled. And we can struggle. But in the end, what did Jesus know? Jesus knew that his God was able. His Father was able to do what? Resurrect him from the dead because he had already promised that. He says, Oh, son going to be hard you're going to take the lash you're going to be beaten till your face is not even able to see who you are it's it will be hard they're going to nail you to the cross they're going to spit on you they're going to they're going to defame you but it's okay son Because out of it comes victory. Death is arrested. That's what Jesus did for us. My God is able. He will deliver me. We just have to to be willing to trust him in how he's going to deliver us.